0: So this morning we're continuing in 1 Corinthians. As I was preparing, I was just reading through, because it's been a while, and God just stopped me in 1 Corinthians 3, and I know we've done 1 Corinthians 3, but there's just something on that that I felt God really speak to me, and I've given it a bit of an odd title this morning. This morning's title is Getting Into Heaven Naked. It'll make sense as we go. We've probably all had that dream where you have, in your dream, gone to school and you've forgotten to put your trousers on or something. Not a pleasant thought, is it? 1 Corinthians 3 really is talking to us about how we build Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and I'm going to read verse 5 to 18. What after all is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace given, to, sorry, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is. Because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools, so that you may become wise. Really good passage few things I want to highlight in this. Verse 5. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now the implication is that we all have a task. Just pausing for a moment. I wonder what your task is. Paul shares A task, sorry, Paul shares that the task he and Apollos have is that Paul planted the seed and Apollos watered the seed. Different tasks working together, and it demonstrates something about our task. There's teamwork. There's no point planting a seed if there's no one to water the seed. We need both. The body of Christ. The church, which is us, we are a team that work together. We don't work on our own. I was chatting to some of the guys this morning. We live in a really terrible world that thinks individualism is the best thing ever. Let me tell you, individualism is lousy people thinking, I only need myself, I'm here to please myself, I'm here to do all the things that benefit me, that is not the way God created us, we are created as part of a family and the body of Christ is that family, we each have a task and those tasks work together, we've seen them in operation this morning, we've seen it with the worship team, doing an important task here within the church. We saw it with the stewards who have been uh, welcoming people as they come in with the breaking of bread serving team, with those working with the children, Alan and the guys on PA, Jocelyn doing the multimedia. We each have tasks, but we work together as a team. And let me tell you something, no task has more value than any other. They're all the same. The important thing is, is that we recognize, as he says in verse 9, for we are co-workers in God's service. What an amazing thing. That we are called to work together for the greatest thing in history. And then there is this amazing thing that kind of nullifies in some ways what we do, because it says, but God makes it grow. One of the challenges that I feel is I constantly feel a pressure as a church leader. How do I grow the church? And Jesus keeps reminding me, he says, I will build my church. Our job is to be faithful in what we do. What do we do? Well, there's a few things. Ephesians 4 says that the role of the pastor and the teacher and the prophet and the apostle and the evangelist is to equip people for works of service. You know, if the evangelist does evangelism, he's failing in his task. Did you know that? You might be a bit shocked. I mean, I annoy evangelists all the time. Because they kind of say, no, I should be out there doing this stuff and I'll just send to save people. And says, no, that's not your job. Your job is to equip others to do it. That's your job. A friend of mine went to a conference and they had a church from Norway or somewhere around there. And they were seeing God doing a great move in their church. And they were talking about what their ethos is for leadership in their church. And they said it's very simply this. Any leader doing the work has failed. Because the job of the leader is to equip people for works of service. If the evangelist is doing the evangelism, he's not training anybody else to do the evangelism if the pastor is doing the pastoral care he is not equipping people to do it because we are here as a body to work together you should have a read of Ephesians 4 the other task we have is to be disciple makers comes out of Matthew 28 the Great Commission go and make disciples of all nations our role is to be equipped so that we can be those who make disciples. Those are kind of two of the main thrusts of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, to be equipped in whatever tasks we're given and to make sure that through that we are able to make disciples. The real measurement of the success of a church is by how they are doing with making disciples and equipping people. It's a bit of by the by, but we will look at that at some point as we go. The one who plants, it says in verse 8, and the one who waters have one purpose. This whole idea of us equipping, of making disciples, we have one purpose As a church. Now, the church, if you look at church history, the church over the years has kind of got it right, got it wrong, got it right, got it wrong. It kind of weaves in and out because we get distracted. One of the challenges of modern church is that we kind of think if we put on a good program, then it will do what God wants the church to do. Actually, it's not about that. I am convinced, and statistics would bear me out, I'm convinced that the majority of people come to Christ through a relationship with someone who follows Christ. That's the statistics. It is quite rare for people to respond in a meeting and follow Christ from that point forward unto salvation. It needs a connection of a relationship. And although we do need to be doing evangelism, we really do, we need to see people raised up who have a gift of evangelism, we've got to remember that the most effective place where we will be is where you already are. All of you have friends and family and wider connected family who are not Christian. You have work colleagues who are not Christian. You have neighbours who are not Christian. You have a network of connections of people who don't know God. And how are they going to get to know God? By somebody knocking on they don't know. By the people God has placed next to them already. And so part of the challenge of us as church is to equip you so that you think I can do this. I can share the gospel, I can lead people to Christ I can disciple them, I can pray with them I can help them study the Bible, I can do all of those things That's what Ephesians 4 is all about But it presupposes that we have an understanding as believers That when we follow Jesus there is work to be done The starting point is a foundation. Can you just put up the picture of a foundation, please? When we come to Christ, we are given a foundation. Don't know what goes on top of this, but this is a foundation. That's what we start with. Now, I'm going to fast forward quickly and then I'll come back again. When we get to Jesus at the end of our days, everything we've built on that foundation is going to be tested. It's going to be tested. And if it's all burnt, everything will disappear. You'll just have the foundation and you kind of get to heaven naked because it's all gone. It's all been burned up. It says the person gets in as passing through the flames. So we start like that And we are told we've got to be extremely careful how we will build. Now, the good news is this. We don't say this much in church, but we should. The Bible has quite a sense of reward. The Bible is not just about you put your hand to the plow, you're doing it because you're just a nice person. No, actually, Jesus consistently talks about reward. There is a reward in heaven. Did you know that? When you serve in the kingdom, when it's difficult and when it's hard and when it's challenging and when it's costly, you think back and think, but I am getting a reward. Now, people say, well, that's not very nice. You should just be doing it out of the love of who you are. No, the Bible teaches reward. Paul, at the end of his life, said, I've done it. And now there is in store for me a crown. He was aiming for something. He knew, he talks about us being runners in a race and he says, but only those who cross the line get the prize. And he says, run in such a way that you get the prize. I mentioned the other week, if we want a reward in heaven, well, financially, we can do that by giving to the poor. Every time you give to the poor in heaven, I don't know whether it's who does it. There's probably an angel designated as uh, putting the stash in where you are going to be. And every time you give to the poor, something's put in your coffers in heaven. It's not rocket science. It's what the Bible teaches. There is rewards. When you read the book of Revelation, you'll see that people be, are rewarded according to what they've done. We You know, historically we talk about the punishment for those who don't repent and do evil and we spend a whole load of time on that. But the reality is there is a reward for what we do and the reward differs. Look at the parable of the talents. Who got the most? The one who already had the most. The guy with the five talents made another five talents and he's given the talents from the guy who did nothing with it. And Jesus says... To those who have, more will be given. And to those who don't have, even what they have will be taken away. The whole point of getting there naked. So it comes back, what are you building on that foundation? And here's the thing, you can't build any old thing. It's got to withstand a test. Now verse 9 gives us these two illustrations. It says, you are God's field And God's building. Those ideas in themselves give us an indication that when we come to Christ, something needs to be done. A field does not sort itself out. Don't know if you've noticed, but if you've got a garden, if you just look at it the year round, it's going to be a mess at the end. You've got to work at it. That foundation. Nothing's going to happen unless somebody sits down and works out, what am I going to build on this? Now, I know in terms of foundations, you wouldn't put a foundation without already knowing what you're going to build. But that would lead me on to say, there is a task assigned to you, which is your building, and God has already placed a foundation. He knows what needs to be built on there, but it's up to us to listen to him and get on and do it. Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. And then he says, but each one should build with care. We all have the same foundation, but we we may have very different looking buildings when we get to the end of our days. And the test of it is, will it withstand The fire. Now the good news is the foundation cannot be destroyed. It's there. It's fixed. It will last our whole lifetime. But we need to be really careful about how we build. And this foundation is amazing. Let me tell you, the foundation of Christ is phenomenal because when you looked at the life of the queen, it lasted her 96 years and it got her through 70 years of being the queen of our nation. That is some foundation. And then I read the news of the latest pop star or the latest person who's won the lottery or the latest person who's become famous and they get lost into drugs and alcohol. They end up taking their life. Why? Because they haven't got that foundation. The foundation is really, really important. I live in Tipton, black country, and what are we famous for? Building houses on mines. Have you, have you driven through Tipton, actually the Prince's End, and have you ever gone past the tilted barrel? And you're thinking, that's not right. You know what the problem is? It's foundation. It's foundation is collapsing into a huge hole. They probably will get a free drink in case they don't get out at the end of the day. The foundation is absolutely crucial. And let me say to you, what we try to teach our children, what we're teaching to our children through there, what we should teach them at home, is whatever our kids do. I want my kids to do really well. Yeah, We are doing everything we can to make sure our children get into good schools and get a good education, but the foundation has to be Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. And then we make sure we listen to him, And we say, how am I going to build? And one of the best things you can do is to start with the end in mind. It's one of the principles of business is that you start with the end in mind. So if you are building a house on a fault line, what do you need to do? You need to make sure your house is built in such a way that it can withstand an earthquake. If you are building your house in Australia, where they regularly have forest fires, what do you need to do? You need to make sure that your house is fireproof. If you are building your house in Venice, you need to make sure it can float. I mean, these things aren't rocket science. And here is what we are told by the Apostle Paul about the end in mind. He says this, their work this is what we build on the foundation their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work so we already know what's coming jesus is going to test our building he's going to test our building what are we building Now, you might say, well, how do I know what I'm building is right? Well, it's quite easy. I mean, it's in here. We build with things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. We don't take vengeance. We don't return evil for evil. We give to the poor. We don't hoard. We're not greedy. We're not sexually immoral. All of those things are part and parcel of building in our building. Verse 18. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. Verse fourteen: If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. There is a massive challenge because. In God's estimation, it's really interesting, one of the things that would be worth doing is reading the Old Testament alongside some ancient Near East history. You'll find that the Bible glosses over leaders in the ancient Near East who were probably some of the greatest leaders the world has ever seen. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is mentioned a bit, but he was actually an ancient near history, one of the big boys. But God measures differently. If you read through the book of Kings, one or two kings is really good because it shows you how they build. A king who did what God said they should do was a good king and his, king, his kingdom was extended and it was prosperous. A king who dissipated God and worshipped idols and oppressed the people and went into sexual immorality, he lost his kingdom and it became smaller and diminished. Some kings brought horrible things onto their people. Can't remember what the city's name is. It's a very famous city in israel where they ate their own people they were so that they were under siege and they had no food and they got to such an extent they ate their children and blah but it was prophesied it would happen why they were building the wrong thing and so we've got a challenge about what we build in our building. Let me show you the difference of what somebody who is kitted out to build looks like. Can you put the first one on, please? You remember this dude? Bob Bob the Builder. We love Bob the Builder. But do you notice something about Bob the Builder? He's got stuff, hasn't he? I mean he's got gear with him cuz he's building. Now if we look at the next photo we probably know this a bit more. Builder. Now this is this one probably just posed for the photo. But do you get the idea that both of those Bob the builder and this guy they're dressed they're kitted out for action. I mean, these guys are not just going for a walk in the park, they mean business. Now, I can show you another photo of somebody who's in the park. Now, of those three photos, the first two could be one, really, which of them, if they said, I'm going to build something, would you believe? Yeah, Bob the builder, he always does it. Now, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because, and this is not liked very much, we have preached a gospel in Pentecostal churches that the only thing we need to do is put our hand up in a meeting and say, Jesus, forgive my sins, and that's it. And the rest of our days, we can sit in the park, reading a book and enjoying life. When the idea... That Paul talks about here, if you can go back to the builder, either one, Bob or the other guy, we'll call him Fred. When you go back to the, this is the image of what it means to become a believer. You've got to gird yourself in the old language, you've got to equip yourself for action. I'm going to say something about my wife for a moment. My wife's got a job, and she's been in the job for a while but the first thing she had to do for the first three months was to train, was to get equipped, she was given some tools. She had to learn how to use the tools. She had to interact with them. She had to become very familiar. She had to learn some skills. She had to develop those. The skills were tested. They were critiqued. All of those things happened so she can do the job. And here we are. We are called by God to build on a foundation that Jesus has laid. It's going to be tested. We have a task and we need to gird ourselves up for action. Now, I'm not going to talk about our church. I'll talk about other churches for a moment because that's a bit easier. When I talk to church leaders, the engagement of people with things like prayer and Bible study and learning skills in the kingdom is very, very low. Christians don't think they need to do that. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to study my Bible. I don't need to pray. I can say a quick prayer here, a quick prayer there. I don't need to intercede and I don't need to bring petitions before God. I don't need to do prayer and fasting. I mean, who likes prayer and fasting? I mean, we don't like going without stuff. No, 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 no. Those are all nice things, but I don't need to do it. Why? I've got my ticket to heaven and that's all that matters. Let me tell you, if that's what you're banking on, you will get through with a foundation, but you will have nothing. We need to build on that foundation. And here's the good news. No matter what age we are, the Bible says we can redeem the time. It's not about lamenting, oh, what haven't I done? It's about saying, what do I need to do now? Can you put that foundation picture on again, please? I want to encourage you this morning. What are you building? What are you building that God wants you to build. This isn't about feeling depressed. It's about having a sense of, I am called to something. I'm amazed how people are willing to use their gifts that God has naturally given them in the world to make money and become wealthy, but not really in the church. Now, I can understand some of that. You don't want to be doing the same thing, etc., but you need to ask, what is the task that God has assigned you that connects with the task of the person next to you which allows us here to build? What does God want us to build? Now, I've mentioned a couple of things we need to equip and we need to make disciples We need to impact our community. We need to impact those that we're connected to, our friends, our families, (coughs) our neighbours. And so I want to challenge you a bit this morning. Ask God, spend some time and say, Lord, what is my assignment here? I categorically believe that if you're here at Hope Church, there is a purpose for you. You're not here by accident. You're not there just to sit on a chair every Sunday. You are here because God has a task (laughs) that he wants you to do. We've had people who volunteer to do pastoral care. And I'm really, I want to be really clear. I'm not on about tasks that are just done here at this postcode. God might call you to do a ministry somewhere of something. I, talked, I was talking to um, a guy at church in Chorn and they have a ministry where people who've lost a baby just come together to talk about it. I think, wow, what an amazing ministry. It's bringing life to people who've lost so much and feel so bereaved and it's working. And there are things in your heart, and, and I've said this before and I say that again, some of the things that you might think you would like to do, you think, I could never do this. If that comes, you're on the right track. Because what God wants you to do is beyond you anyway. You need the spirit to enable you to do it and you need other people to help you. And I look and I see so many gifted people here that God wants to use for his kingdom And I don't, you know, we had a bit of a history in the church of people saying, oh, folks will only do it if the pastor asks you to do it. I won't do that. I will not do that because it's about what God speaks to you that you need to do. I am here as a sounding board. If you want to chat the thing through, I would love to do that. I can coach you a bit through that. And coaching, it's not me telling you what to do. Coaching is helping you think. Because at the end of the day... When you grasp a hold of the task assigned to you, you'll begin to find a fulfillment that you see in nothing else. And you don't want to end up being those who at the end of their day, you know, it's really interesting that Paul uses this, those who've built with gold, silver, precious stones, etc. All the stuff the world values will be burned up. These people, you know, uh, Jeff Bassos, who's the, the wealthiest man in the world, made billions of pounds through Amazon, that means nothing. It means nothing. It's not about how much gold or silver. It's about building towards the kingdom of God. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't get to heaven naked. Make sure that there is something there in terms of reward. It sounds it sounds really odd. You know, I've been I've been in enough conferences. I'm now over 50. I've been in enough conference where I'm sitting there and people are talking about ministry as if it's only stuff you do that you want to do. Yeah. Oh, no, I I, I do the ministry because um, that's what I want to do or I don't do that because I don't really want to do that. I mean, I've heard so many folks in different churches, in different contexts say, oh, I stopped doing that because I wasn't comfortable with it or... Um, I wasn't enjoying it. It's not about that. The stuff that I have done in 30 years of ministries, none of the stuff that I would have volunteered to do, it is stuff that God has clearly said to me, this is what I want you to do. And when I wake up in the morning, I think, man, this is hard work. Why am I doing this? I go back to 2009 when God said to me, go to the UK and I'll give you a job there and it's leading in the church and that is what keeps me going and the fact that that there is a reward waiting for me for being faithful. That's how we function within it. I'm going to burst any bubble that says it's easy, it's the most pleasurable thing, but I will tell you it is fulfilling. You know within you, you are doing something of significance that has eternal value. And so I want to encourage you this morning There is so much stuff. I mean, if 12 guys can change the world, what can 60 of us do? Now, some of you have chatted to me. I know folks have, uh, I know Yatunda spoke to me about evangelism and Margaret spoken to me about um, intercession ministry and uh, Liz has spoken to me about doing Zoom prayer things. I'm up for doing all of those things. And what I say to people, if you have something that is burning in your heart to do, you think, I'd like to do that, I want you to work out a plan. That's what I've said to those folks. Come back to me with a plan. We're not just going to chuck it out. What We're going to say, give us a plan, and then we'll throw it out there for other people to grab a hold of. How is this going to work? But I, I really, really believe that we are in one of the most significant times in the history of the church. Because everything is changing. Everything is changing. The speed and pace of which, and I would hazard a guess, in 10 years' time, church will not look like this. And we need to be prepared for that. We need to be equipped for that. But what drives me the most is I want to equip you. I have some good skills in equipping people. I've done that for many years. and I can, But I need people who say, yeah, I want equipping like this. And then I say, right, let's do it. And we will see God doing some amazing things. So out of this, what am I saying? I'm saying, ask God. And if you want to bounce things off me, do that. You're welcome to talk to one of the other leaders. Or if you've got another Christian who will... You've got to be really careful when you talk to Christians that they're not just telling you encouraging things. You want to talk to those who will be honest with you. And they'll say to you, well, you know what? That sounds a bit, but you're welcome. I'd love to have a coffee with you and we can thrash some of these things through and we can talk about it and you can work out what God is saying and we'll explore that together. Does that sound okay? Then let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you because that foundation that you have given us is solid. It's not going to give. It's going to take whatever you have called us to put on. And if the building is 10 times as big as the foundation, it's still going to stand because it's your building. And so, Father, I pray for each one this morning. I want to pray that you would birth in our hearts the faith to say God wants to use me, the vision of what you want doing, and Father, the motivation that says I can do this. In Christ, I can do all things because he gives me strength. And so, Lord, I pray for our people here this morning. I pray for each one of you this morning that you would know a vision in your heart that God wants to flourish. And if you're already doing it, God bless you. And I pray that God would multiply your gifting and your resources and your ability in what you do. And this morning we stand against every attack of the enemy that would seek to stop us. We bind the work of the devil in the lives of his people. And Father, I pray that we would know your resources, your provision and your blessing in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.